there. This is Stephen Toulouse, otherwise known as Steptoe. You are listening to Versus the World Radio. Versus the World Productions. Scaring normal people on the Internet since 2010. www.vtwproductions.com The following presentation is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike Non-Commercial License. For more information on Creative Commons licensing, please visit www.creativecommons.org. Again, for the podcast listener, no time will have passed. For Friday, the 3rd of February, 2012, this is Alpha Geek Fridays. I am the other Todd, known to some of you as Gnomewise, and joining me, as usual, except for last week, from the miraculous land of Halifaxis, Canada, the one and only Joel Duggan. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Halifaxis Maximus. Halifaxis Maximus. I like that. See, the, Cana- the, the, the Cana- tourism Canadians. board. Yeah. Cana- it's, Canadianus. Uh, Canadianus. <laughs> it sounds like a Roadrunner cartoon, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, sounds like we're classifying a new species of human. Yeah. This is this is Halifax Maximus Canadianus. <laughs> you have like six fingers on each hand and a horn. Yeah, with uh, there's pencils growing out of the end of my fingernails and you know pens under uh, underneath, under each ear. You know, for easy access, all that kind of. I'm a cartoonist hybrid. Well, that's more the uh, artisticus maximus that you are, not necessarily of Halifax people in general. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm taking over. So. I heard that. Yes, I'm, I'm given to understand that you uh, begin to own most of Halifax, and soon you'll be casting your eyes southward, and and you'll be at our border, at which point you'll be thwarted because we require a passport now. Yep. New York is next. Um, don't worry about you, Maine. Uh, we're just going to step right over you. Probably wouldn't be much point. Maine is this who actually like pays attention to Maine? Nova Scotia, anyway. <laughs> Nova Scotia, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> be afraid. That's such a fairly new thing. When I was growing up, uh, Western New York uh, end of things, the going back and forth over the. Uh, there was no passport required. You know, basically, you just needed government ID or a parent. And I guess these mm-hmm. days, you actually, to go between Canada and the U.S., you need a passport now, which I guess is a sign of the times. Yep. No, it's uh, ever since nine eleven. I want to say hmm. that changed, it, or it might have even changed before that. But, uh, but yeah, you definitely need a passport whenever you're crossing the border. I guess that's why they came up with the passport card, which mm. is the 
driver's license-sized passport for people who do frequent crossings, uh, either Mexican border yeah. or, or Canadian border. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, th- there's another way to get down there, too. As opposed to driving, you can actually take the uh, the CAT, which is uh, the ferry that runs between Yarmouth and Maine. It goes across the Bay of Fundy. See, and you just found a way to use the word Yarmouth on the show. I think that's, <laughs> Isn't that the secret, secret word of the day? <laughs> no. Do you get a prize uh, for that? It's one of the, the I, got, I don't know what it is, city, village, county. Well, Yarmouth County is the southern tip of Nova Scotia, but there's a, a city, a destination, a town called Yarmouth, and that's where the, 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 cat, the catamaran ferry leaves uh, from Yarmouth. And I want to go say it goes to, not Bangor, Portland, Maine? I don't know where it goes. I don't know where it actually ends up. I don't think it's a big city center. I think it drops you like, you know, somewhere where easy highway access happens shortly thereafter. Well, I was curious. My next question was going to be, why is it called the cat? But you've answered that. To the, it's a catamaran. Yeah, for speed. And uh, apparently um, to keep it out of the, the depths of the water, um, because a ferry of that size carrying passengers and cars would sink quite deep into the water because of just the you know the weight and stuff that would be needed to support all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Bay of Funday is a big through traffic for humpback whales. Oh. And to protect the environment, they went with a catamaran, uh, which has a lighter payload but stays much higher to the water and therefore um, is less likely to hit wildlife. Okay, that makes perfect sense now that I think about it. Yeah, so yeah, I thought it was a kind of a smart decision. Unfortunately, it, it's not a big it's not a big deal because in terms of like a lot of people taking the ferry because um, it's expensive. So depending on how much money you have versus how much time you have, it's sometimes cheaper and easier just to drive around. You know, you go up through um, Amherst and New, New Brunswick and then come down through the border at either Calais or um, farther up in New Brunswick. And um, I think it's St. Stephen, maybe. But either way, like, it, it takes longer to drive around. But, like, when you go down to Yarmouth, you've got to drive to Yarmouth, and then you've got to wait to get on the ferry. You've got to pay X amount of dollars to get on. And if you factor that into your gas costs to just drive around, sometimes it's almost even. So there's not a lot of people that actually take the ferry. Hmm. So the ferry has never really been a part of my existence, having grown up in western New York and the rest of my life in uh, Arizona. However, I did spend a brief period of time up in Everett, Washington, north of Seattle, and mm-hmm. on ferries because it's ferries everywhere up there, in a really fun way. But the uh, yeah, back to Arizona ferries uh, in the middle of the Sonoran Desert, not really so much. <laughs> you could you could have like those uh, sand dune ferries and stuff from oh what was that movie Sahara. Okay. Like people windsurfing, getting you from point A to point B. Yeah, there's also the the Martian Chronicles. Uh, They had the sand ships, which are basically wind-powered ships that were going over the sand dunes. Um, Same kind of idea. I wonder if we're going to see something similar to that with uh, the upcoming John Carter film. Mm, Maybe. Not sure how I feel about that. It looks, I mean, it looks, you know, Beautifully produced and huge and and all that and I just I'm, I'm put off by the fact that they didn't feel like they could put the you know the original title um, not the but their their intermediate title which was John Carter of Mars that they were so 
overly conscious of marketing the product that they thought they would they would drive away the, the female audience if they put the words of Mars on there. So they shaved it down to just John Carter. And I don't know, that just that speaks to a certain corporatization. And I mean, it's, it's freaking Disney. So, I mean, what can you expect? I mean, large, yeah. massive corporation. It's just such a beloved, uh, you know, Burroughs source material that... I don't. Know, I, I don't want them to pee all over it. Basically, yeah. I don't know. I, so far, it looks good. I, I'm excited to go see it. Yeah, I mean the 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 Thrax, which are the uh, the forearmed green Martian guys. They, the little snippets they give you anyway in the the promos look like they've they've done a, a really fun job uh, rendering them and designing them and making them you know, a, a believable forearmed green-tusked alien. Uh, I should probably look back at what I just said and reconsider the believable, uh, the word believable being in that <laughs> sentence. Tangible. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. But it looks really damn good, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, there have been other movies that looked great in preview uh, that failed to deliver, at least, at least to yeah. the, the, my, my little inner nerd. Yeah. I, you know, speaking of alien movies, I actually watched Planet 51 the other day. Planet 51. What is Planet 51? Is that the CG one? It was the CG uh, kids movie that came out two years ago. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is the lead voice actor for the astronaut, and it's the reverse. Instead of an alien landing on planet Earth, it's a, an, an Earthling landing on an alien planet. Gotcha. And they're all kind of like stuck in the 50s. So okay. It's like, oh, the Martians are coming! And they have these... Um, Alien movies where the evil humans come and they have <laughs> eye beams and they you know destroy everything. So it's all basically like the serial movies of the the fifties, right? Um, that, that which is what their entertainment is. So it's big into comics and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a great movie in terms of mind blowing um, uh, originality. Like it was very very basic. You know, like they're all pretty ignorant. They think the universe is five hundred miles long. So, you know, they think the aliens are there to abduct them and do all these, you know, butt probe things. And I mean, if you can put a scientific trope in a movie, they, they found it. You know, they made jokes about Star Wars, Star Trek, Terminator, aliens, like they just, they did it all. Um, and it was very, cl those jokes were clever. The overall plot was nothing, nothing new. Um, but I, I really liked the way that they rendered the aliens. It was really neat to see something so human-like but so not human-like it was it was really really well done and uh, all the like i said all the little jokes were really good so it's that's definitely worth worth seeing um i think that um as far as john carter of mars is concerned i think see i'm not familiar with the source material so i might be talking out of my ass cheek here but i think the uh the believability of it or the the premise of it is that he gets there, and then he has superpowers? Effectively, the idea was, you know, from their perspective on Barsoom, which is what the locals call their own planet, he grew up on a high-gravity world. So um, it was like someone growing up on you know, a, a massive planet coming to a smaller planet. Um, they just have overdeveloped musculature. Uh, for the environment they're now in, now they, they take, seem to take to a bit of extreme. Where he's you know leaping from mountaintop to mountaintop, but yeah, he is definitely superhero-ish. Okay, cool. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all for the whole four-armed alien thing. I mean, I'm, I've watched Star Wars, and actually, if anything, one of the things I like better about Star Wars than Star Trek is I find it more interesting that the aliens are different shapes and sizes and stuff, mm-hmm. as opposed to where on Star Trek they're all basically humanoid with different face makeup. It's the forehead of the week show, yeah. Yeah, forehead of the week, nice. <laughs> Stand by. Yeah, but I'm hoping that uh, our friends at Disney... Don't screw it up too badly. What other, I mean, what big, like, literary franchises, like sci-fi or something, would you would you love to see made into a non-screwed-up movie? Sci-fi franchise, non-screwed-up movie. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know why this just popped into my head. When I was young, uh, probably around 14, I read a book called Black Steel. And it was a sci-fi novel about this guy... Uh, in pursuit of this this black steel sword, and it was it, it was sci-fi though it wasn't it was like a vibroblade kind of thing. It was very space-like. It wasn't uh, wasn't fantasy at all. It wasn't swords and, and sorcery. It was it was hard sci-fi. It was swords and tech as opposed to swords and sorcery. Yeah. Okay. And uh, that would I think it would make a really it would make a really cool movie from what I remember. No, I mean, I, my mind might have been blown at the age of 14, and right now, if I read it, I, w- I might be thinking it's absolute drivel, but that was the first thing that popped into mind. Weird. Yeah, well, not weird. It's, it's, it's like the you know, when, you're, when you're being interviewed and they hit you with the random pop questions, they say, quick, say the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, it's like the Rorschach Fra- 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 test. No, Fra- sorry. Frack a banjo? What? Yeah. <laughs> um, what about you? Uh, that's a hard one. Um... Because every time I see them rebooting an existing franchise, I just cringe internally because I'm aware of the wealth of really well-told stories. I mean, even even only in the comic book universe, using comic books only as your source material, there is just an unplumbed depth. I mean, we don't have a Sandman movie yet, mm-hmm. which there desperately needs to be one because the source material is absolutely freaking incredible. Yeah, they're doing a Watchmen prequel as a comic. Did you hear about that? Yeah, and not involving the original creators in any way whatsoever. At which point they lost my interest. Yeah, well, but the original creator has uh, given it their, their his blessing. With how big of a check changing hands, I'm not sure. Mm, um, yeah, there's that. I mean, I don't like. I don't really care either way. I don't like the Watchmen period, so it's not uh, not a, a an earth changing event for me. I mean, more pretty freaking crazy guy. Um, mm. Like as actual, you know, honest to goodness sociopath, um, <laughs> in a good way. I mean, not, not a violent sociopath, not a psychopath. Um, yeah. Just powerfully introverted and and not that interested in uh, um, you know, dealing with people anymore. But uh, yeah, I'm. It'd be interesting to see what they come up with for the. Was it uh, before Watchmen? I think they're they're calling it. Um, yeah, I think, this, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I, I will. I will likely get sucked in at least looking at the first release and seeing. So I think they're they're doing it as a shared universe anthology. So they'll have different writing and art teams coming in to do different background stories for for various characters. So there's potential there. I've, I've seen. Shared universe anthologies like that go really well, uh, like the wild card universe uh, in books, and I've seen it go horribly off the rails. I was a big fan of uh, Wendy and Richard Peeney Warp Graphics putting out uh, ElfQuest in the uh, 80s and early 90s, and then they 
and they had been just just basically the husband wife team for for years and years. And her art style is fantastic. Um, you know, she kind of pioneered the whole sexy elf thing and did it really freaking well. Um, cool. But then they turned the universe loose to a whole bunch of other creators, and to me, that wasn't you know why I came to ElfQuest. So it was it, it rubbed me the wrong way as as a longtime reader. So it I don't know it can go either way when you when you decide to open up your universe to uh, to others. Sometimes sometimes the universe is you know, is tightly bound to the the creator. Um, yeah, it's just you know their their style inf- infects everything about um, everything about yeah. it, it is well, deeply them. Since you're talking about elves, um, one of the things that I think would make um, a really good movie, which I mean, there's been rumors about it off and on for years, is some sort of Warcraft movie. They've been in production, you know, in development for ages. However, we haven't heard a peep out of Blizzard in some time, which makes me wonder, okay, what uh, what exactly is going on here, guys? Mm. I mean, is it still... Is, 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 anything, is anything happening at all? Um, yeah. Well, is, been, it, is it Blur Studios that does all their trailers? I believe so. That does their yeah. their cutscenes in their movies and the, yeah, the gorgeous, stuff. gorgeous stuff that Blizzard oh, puts out. Incredible! Like, and I, I understand that Blur is probably very busy doing um, that kind of thing for multiple companies because I know that they do for different video game franchises. Right. I mean, I know Blizzard has a sizable internal department as well. They farm some stuff out to to Blur, yeah. but not all. Yeah, and I just oh man, it would be so cool to see a CG movie that isn't aimed at the Pixar Disney. DreamWorks audience, you know, um, something along the lines of Avatar uh, in terms of the visual quality, but then uh, take that to, you know, uh, an original storyline, something like what you've got going on. Well, I mean, I say original. I know that World of Warcraft is very much inspired by classic fantasy and stuff like that, but um, it's not Cowboys versus Indians over again is the point that I'm trying to make. It's Um, not uh, Dances with Wolves. Ferngully, actually. Ferngully. <laughs> that, that, that was my yep. immediate uh, parallel with, uh, with Avatar, was, was Ferngully. Um, but, yeah, the, um, the, the CG stuff that they do at Blur would be very cool on the big screen. That would just be fantastic. Yeah, it's just a matter of uh, the scale of it. I mean, because they go for, you know, they're, they're definitely approaching the uncanny valley there. They are, they are going for massive realism. Whereas Pixar has kind of found their happy place of sticking with the cartoony characters in the form of you know Toy Story, Cars, um, and the amount of work that goes into simulating as close to a real environment as you can versus the stylized one, it it takes a huge amount of resources, additional amount of resources to do what Blur does in these short snippets. Yes, to do yeah. a feature film, it, probably the reason no one has done it is because it would be impossible for it to ever be profitable. Well, I mean, there's there is that. I understand that there's a lot of a lot of money that has to be poured into the budget, but there are certainly companies out there that have the money. Yeah, you know, and I, you, I mean, I think that. Well, I mean, take a look, and especially if you had the right person behind it. Like, for, I mean, I'll use James Cameron as an example. I mean, like he. Um, I think wasn't Avatar like one of the most expensive movies ever made or something? They certainly invested an awful lot of money on the front end inventing the technology that they then utilized. I mean, Avatar you know, was in his queue 
for like 12 years. Yeah, something like that. And he basically, at the outset, said, this technology does not exist, and we're not close to developing it, so I'm going to go and do deep-sea submersibles and you know, follow my heart over here, my other love being undersea exploration. Oh, and I'll also manage to talk the studios into funding my deep sea explorations by doing this Titanic film, which I'm amazed that they greenlit. And then, oh, hey, look, it turned into a massively profitable thing. Totally meant to do that. Totally intended to do that. Um, and then came back around to it and said, okay, technology guys, what do you got 10 years later? Oh, look, now we can. We are within striking distance of it. Let's push it over the edge, develop this motion capture, this this performance capture and off you go and that's the whole the whole thing that that Cameron has brought to the table is it's not animation anymore you know there yeah it's it's a performance right and the and you know because there was always a certain amount of wailing and gnashing of teeth um saying from the actor's standpoint or people uninformed people speaking on behalf of actors saying, oh, the, the computer is going to put all the actors out of business. You're making virtual characters that are going to replace people. And no, you still need an actor at the heart of that performance to do something like Avatar. Yeah, a Toy Story or a Cars, you're right. There are only voice actors involved in that. But something like Avatar, which I think we're going to see more and more of that type of completely fantastical movie where all of the characters that you see are in fact computer generated but they are generated from an actor performing is is the basis of the um, entire movies they're still going to be there will always be actors oh there's always going to be actors and i think the other thing that that leads into though is the all the hubbub about andy circus not getting nominated you know for his work uh yeah for the oscars and stuff like that and my i mean as an as a former i say former i still animate from time to time but as someone who understands how the animation industry works and you know knows how a lot of these behind the scenes things work for things like gollum and the planet the rise of the planet of the apes and all the stuff that he's done um when you're doing motion capture it provides a base for the animator and especially if the end character is not a duplicate of you uh, like if you're, it's one thing to be doing uh, motion capture for, like, say, the the bridge of Kazadun when all the hobbits and everybody's running across. Mm-hmm. Each actor had to then do motion capture that, so that their CG version would run just like they did, and that's that's one thing. Um, but when you're doing something where you're pretending to be Gollum, who is this twisted kind of like borderline crack addict, you know, a character, uh, or you're being your performance is being turned into a gorilla. Um, the animators then have to take your base performance and exaggerate and change and do a lot of different things. So it's really a little unfair to the animators to say, oh, well, Andy Serkis deserves this, you know, uh, this award for his performance in, in this movie when it could have been, it really is the, the combination of Andy Serkis and whatever the character animation team is on that particular character. You know, and I think that they have to, if they, they can't recognize one without the other, I guess is my... They need to create a new a new category. Yeah, like uh, exactly because I mean I'm sure Andy Circus works very closely with the animators. Oh God, yeah. You know? I mean, you look at all the yeah. behind the scenes work, and and there is a complete yeah. collaboration. So there needs to be a category of <coughs> excuse me, you know, best performance team yeah. in a, in a uh, visual effects character. You know, the, totally agreed. Yeah, because I mean, I think I'm looking at 
the the behind the scenes that they're putting out for the the new Hobbit films that they're developing, and okay. Andy Serkis is also on top of doing the mocap for uh, Gollum, is second unit director of the movies. Really? Uh, oh yeah, um, cool. it's kind of kind of entertaining to watch him uh, become increasingly more disheveled and look more and more like Peter Jackson. Um, long hair, <laughs> scruffy beards, like that. Okay, so that's what happens to you when you try and direct one of these behemoths. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I think the uh, second or third behind the scenes, they have a sit down between Peter Jackson and Andy Serkis talking about you know, directing and the second unit directing. And I'm wondering if they. Part of their motivation for getting him second unit director is to get him a chance to get um, you know, a shot at an Oscar for, for some part of the production angle of things uh, so they can give him his nod. Since things like the Motion Picture Academy move at such a geological pace and are very slow to change, um, it's going to be probably a ridiculously long time before they revamp the categories and create a category for to award the team of people that comes together to create a virtual performance, the mocap actor and all the animators um, and technicians on the technical side that create something like Smeagol. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. We'll get there. Yeah, it, well, and I think it's going to take, it'll take something like a Smeagol or... Um, the Hobbit or some movie of that stature to really bring it to light to start the ball rolling. I don't think you're going to get it with something as, I mean, Avatar was big, but I don't think that it has enough of um, the Academy's attention. They have a hard time. I mean, historically people have a problem with the Oscars because by their actions, they're kind of an elitist group and they are kind of the original hipsters in that yeah. if it's massively popular, they're not interested in it. That's just, oh, the masses like that. Yes, whatever. I'm going to be over here with my art. Mm-hmm. And there have been years where they have, they have snubbed incredibly popular, fun movies in favor of the small, low-budget, artsy film to show... Well, the feeling is, you know, they're showing how much more about art they know than the screaming masses. And run along, we're going to give the award to the the artists. And that's why the people have cared less and less and less about the Oscars over the years because they're they're getting this smell off of them as, oh, you really don't represent us, us being the the, the movie going public. So why should I care who you give a little golden statue to when it doesn't reflect what was actually popular of interest and successful during the last year? And you look at the viewership of you know the Oscar ceremony dropping and dropping and dropping over the years because they're less and less relevant. Yeah, that and there's plenty uh, well, of sites where you can get you know, Rotten Tomatoes and such where you can go express your own opinions directly. Yeah, not to mention that the the hosting of the Oscars has gone steadily downhill. It used to be a major deal, and it used to be fantastic. I mean, you look at the... I mean, what was the last really fantastic... Uh, Billy I Crystal, say, maybe? No, 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 no. Um, John Stewart. Yeah, he did a pretty good job, surprisingly. I really enjoyed him on that uh, that particular... Yeah, they only um, gave him the one year, but... yeah. 
Yeah, I thought it was too bad that he couldn't have continued to do it. Uh, Billy Crystal's back this year. Oh, really? See, I haven't even been paying attention. I, I didn't even know. <laughs> I the only reason I know that because of our our friends on the morning stream. Ah, yes. Last week. Those those guys, those other guys that do a morning show, you know, mm-hmm. with five hundred times the downloads as us. But I'm not bitter. <laughs> I'm not bitter. Yeah, just, Scott just blithely posts a a, uh, a download number in Twitter the other day, and it was jaw dropping. Like, oh, you son of a! Now, now I feel completely. Did that? Yes. <laughs> I'm glad I missed that tweet. It had six digits in it, okay? <laughs> and the first digit was not a one. <sighs> I'm like, someday, someday. That scene in Castaway, you know, where Tom Hanks is dancing around the fire and Scott's just looking at his podcasting and he's like, look what I have made. <laughs> I have made fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I hate him so much. No, not really. Nothing but love. I just... Moving on. All right, let's bring this handily up to a break. I will continue to sort out uh, fun and interesting things with Sam Broadcaster. You are listening to Alpha Geek Fridays! Yay, it's the weekend, or will be later today anyway. You sooner than me, you further east than me bastard Canadian type. Yes, it is almost noon here. I hate you so much. I want it to be almost noon here, too. That much closer to the end of the work week, and this is the a week I would much, much rather just see the back end of. So, we let's see what have I got queued up here for you. I will be a surprise. There'll be some Paul and Storm or some uh, Jonathan Colton here for you. We shall return right after this. Versus the world's productions, nerds on the internet. What more could you ask for? www.vtwproductions.com This show is brought to you in part by Audible. Audible Audible.com is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet. With over 85,000 programs for more than 1,000 content providers, including leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Audible customers can also have their Audible content wirelessly delivered to their smart mobile devices daily, even while sleeping, taking the computer out of the equation. To find out more, visit vtwproductions.com and click on the audible.com advertisement on the left-hand side, or visit audiblepodcast.com forward slash vtwproductions. New customers in the United States and Canada will receive a free audiobook download when they sign up via that link audiblepodcast.com forward slash VTW Productions. Still so dark because it's still so early and the chipper little girly at the front desk doesn't mind at all. These phony living rooms and fake plants are killing me. This bad coffee's filling me with evil parts, joy and rage. Put my makeup on and crack in half. I choke back a laugh. Find the camera with the red light. Good morning, Tucson. The lights come on, and so I smile wide and say, Good morning, Tucson. I throw to you before I throw the rest away. When I was coming up, I got the donuts, which means I got the donuts that I wanted. There was no young punk to steal my jelly glazed And I'm still sort of amazed that you can be born in the 90s When I've 
Scalzi, and you're listening to Versus the World Radio. Alpha Geek Fridays continues live on Versus the World Radio, VTWProductions.com. And this is Nerds in the News. Nerds in the News. Featuring material from the greater World Wide Web. Brought to us by our all-volunteer research team on the forums at vtwproductions.com. Our major contributor this week was Fangs with a Z, and the Z is what makes it cool. And our research thread this week was titled, Showing Off Them Kirby's Edition. Whatever the hell that means. Fangs, you're going to need to explain yourself. But, okay. I guess Kirby's could be a euphemism for something interesting. I, I don't know, ask your girlfriend sometime. To sh- sh- show me your Kirby's and see if he gets slapped or not, and then we'll know. <laughs> and actually, something you had mentioned earlier, uh, DC Entertainment. And here's a pop quiz for you, Mr. Comic Man. What does DC stand for? Oh, I have no idea. Detective Comics. Oh, maybe I did know that. I just didn't remember it. I did know that. I just didn't know that. It stands for We Can't Design a Logo Worth Spit. Ah, you saw their new logo, did ya? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you screw up two initials? They found a way. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because um, with my last name being Duggan, I, I mean, D is in either my initial signature, my full signature, whatever I'm doing. I'm always, you know, whenever I see a D as part of a, an icon for a company, I'm always very, very specifically um, scrupulous. Mm-hmm. You know, just is that even a word? I, I think I just made that up. Run I'm with it. Run with it. Allowed to make stuff up. Yeah, so it's all good. Um, yeah, I'm ve- I'm very picky about the way that people handle D in their uh, in their logo and monikers and stuff like that. And uh, DC has failed. Yeah, um, I mean they they've posted some of the variations, but the whole. I mean, what is that even supposed to be? If you go to dccomics.com uh, chat room and or podcast listener, you'll see upper left-hand corner their new logo, which is like the letter D being peeled away sticker style from the letter C underneath it, I guess. 
Yeah, and it it strikes me as like a it, it it's more of a video game thing, I guess. Like it just you know, like it just it has that kind of. It's a very animated logo for a non-animated media. Well, you, you know, consider like, though, where are comics headed here? I mean, I think no, wisely they're embracing digital distribution. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Have you played much with the Marvel and DC, extremely similar, I think, developed by the same house, uh, like iPad apps? I don't have an iPad, so no. They have almost a... a, a are you familiar with the motion comics they've been doing as, as video releases? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Um, I was just talking about that on Comics Coast to Coast last night with uh, Brian Dunaway and Denver Brubaker. And uh, there's a lot of motion comics now on Netflix yeah. in Canada. Same and it's here. very misleading because you see these really cool, uh, well-drawn cover art bits on Netflix. Uh, I, I'm surfing through on my Apple TV. So it's not until you actually like select and drill down into the actual show that you realize, oh, it's a motion comic. And they, they're not good motion comics. Now, if they were like the cultivated experience on Comixology, DC, uh, all those other comic apps, I would be on board. I would, I would totally sit back and watch one of those on my big screen TV. Um, but they're not. It's like the people are speaking, and they've got After Effects people moving the mouths and moving the eyes, and and warping the beautiful artwork from comics. It, it is a horrible, horrible experience. Yeah. Um, and I, I found myself recently actually finding more and more uses for an iPad in my life. Like I have, I've got a lot of research that I'm trying to do this year, and I would love to be able to sit on the couch with an iPad and read as opposed to my laptop. Um, I very much associate my laptop and my, my studio with work. So having an iPad in the living room would give me that kind of escape. It's not the studio. You know, it would be more like a book or a, or a, a reading experience in that way. And right. uh, I really like Comixology on my phone. The only problem, of course, is that the phone is very small. Yeah. And eye strain. And just, it's, not, it's not a good form factor. No. And it's okay if you're lying in bed and it's six inches from your face and you just can't sleep. So you read a comic or two. Like, right. that's totally fine that's there. Different. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, the things, I mean, I actually get angry. I was, I was going through uh, Netflix, and I've been very deliberately seeking out a lot of the animated stuff and had plowed through a lot of the recently made Warner Brothers DC properties and was really happy with the quality of those and stumbled across a Marvel one. It was a you know, Thor, Loki, Blood Brothers. I was like, oh, cool, oh, good, one, one that I missed and got in there and realized after a few frames... It's a freaking motion comic. And I got angry. Like This is like bait and switch. Yeah, and, and it, not only that, but they switched you to a very bad motion comic. Like, I've seen some that handle it better. Yeah. Where they just, like, they simply cut out the character from the background and slide them around. They don't actually try to put hinges or make arms move or make characters walk or talk or anything like that. Like, I, I, I really think that there's a place for... Um, the curated comic experience and uh, warping stuff in anima fa- in uh, After Effects is not yeah not, not it. it. Well, one of the things I was, where I was headed with this was the comic readers add a little bit of the motion comic idea. Not that the characters move, but they they as you page through, it doesn't just you you have a choice. You can either page through and simply see the entire page at a time, traditional style, mm-hmm. or you can choose. Uh, to take what you refer to as the curated version, where every time you flip a page, it takes you 
frame by frame within a page through the action and follows the you know because they always they don't always necessarily go top to bottom left to right you know it's a lot of the more fun creative ones go different weird directions over the course of a page or a spread of two pages and if they do a good job designing the flip through dynamic it's a really fun way to read a comic and also you get a much more close-up view of the individual panels of action and dialogue and I should like that a lot. I think that brings a lot to the comic reading experience, especially on an e-reader. So if that's where they're headed with this, I can see why DC would, would take the we are more computer and you, you get you were saying you got the video game vibe off of their new logo there. Mm -hmm. That may be their thinking is you know, we we want to position ourselves next to video games in people's brains when they're looking for entertainment because that's where we're headed. We're going to start showing up on all your portable devices. And sadly, I think part of the outcome of this is going to be much what happened to the big bookstore chains is the comic book store is going to dwindle, which is, from a nostalgia standpoint, hits me where I live. Well, one of the, one of the if not the oldest, um, comic book franchises in Canada, uh, Strange Adventures, is here in Halifax. And uh, Cal, the guy that runs it, he's doing a really good job of um, making his comic shop and comic shops, I guess, uh, more of a community-based thing. It's where people go to drop in to say hi and see what's going on and hang out uh, and ultimately, you know, pick up some stuff that's not available uh, digitally. And I think that that's going to be the strength of um, comic book shops to long-term get past the digital download stuff, especially where things are released day and date. You know, like you've got uh, Batman number whatever coming out on on the iPad and on the shelves at the same day at the same price people just have a choice and if more and more people start choosing the digital version um, I mean DC still gets their money so they're not going to be losing any revenue there it's it's just the comic book shop that the middleman that's going to see the the change and I think the um, the shops that are becoming places where people go to game you know they go to do tabletop games they go to paint uh, 40k characters they you know, go to to talk about their comics and stuff like that. Uh, I think that that those are going to be the stores that um, provide a little bit more of a a community that will survive. I hope that's the way it does pan out, because and I, I do when I go to my local Atomic Comics, I see trading card games happening and I see miniature painting happening and I, I see them embracing the we will sell you the accessories to the comic book culture. Uh, becoming a larger and larger part of the store. Um, mm -hmm. And there's there's other things, too, that they can do for local people. Like, I mean, if you've got local comic artists that are in your neighborhood, then, I mean, as a store, you can invite them in to do a book signing and see if you can't help them gain some money as a creator, get more people into your store. Uh, there's still lots of things on the shelves in a, in a comic store, like a graphic novel, that you can't necessarily buy, you know, um, on on an iPad. I mean, there's some. Like, like obviously, you can get The Walking Dead, in digital versions and stuff like that, but um, there, there's one-off uh, graphic novels and things that may not yet be available on uh, on the digital side. The other thing too is that I've noticed a lot of the offerings on, say, Comixology for free are only the first couple issues of something, which I think is very and, savvy, very savvy of them to do. Yeah, so you can yeah, so you can read a couple for free, and then you can make a decision as to whether you want to continue to read them on the iPad. Or um, I, they, there may there may even be like spinoffs, like oh well, I really like this person's art, 
they drew, you know, this 10 book series for Batman. But then they went off and they did their own graphic novel once they got well known. And that's not on Comixology. That's not a digital download. I have to go and order that at my, at my local comic book store. So there, there's still enough, I think, cross pollination that it's not going to be like a, an overnight thing that you see um, print stores disappear. No, here's hoping. Um, but on the DC site, uh, before Watchmen has been officially announced, it had been heavily rumored, leaked bits of uh, art showing up on the various Gawker sites. And they're, excuse me, they are finally confirming, yes, we are doing a series of prequels with a variety of artists and writers centered around the different characters. So it'll be a single issue or short run uh, prehistory of the various characters in Watchmen. We'll see. I mean, the the prequel thing can go beautifully, can go horribly, horribly badly. I'm rather looking forward to, on the movie side of things, Prometheus, which is a sideways prequel to the uh, Alien series of films. Uh, this one's going to be done by Ridley Scott again, the original uh, creator of Alien. So mm-hmm. we'll see where that. There's, there's definitely they're saying it's not a it's not a hard prequel, but it's definitely it's the same universe as Alien, uh, contains some of the elements of Alien, and uh, the the Ridley Scott describes as having a lot of the DNA um, of the Alien film, and mm-hmm. you know that one's got my interest up just because I love Ridley Scott doing hard sci-fi. So this one has all the all the look of his type of film. Um, but the fact that it's uh, in the alien universe that he created and popularized um, is just extra gravy for me. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. I, I was my initial reaction to all these prequels or sequels from different artists and different writers is I'm always my initial reaction is always negative, and I'm I'm also secretly hoping to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. They will almost certainly get my money, at least for the first couple of issues, until they either get me completely or piss me off to the point where I'm back on the air here ranting about how bad it was. Yeah, I mean, I started reading the new 52. Um, I picked up a few copies. I've got uh, Batman Dark Knight, uh, the new Superman, and Justice League were my the three that I decided to test out. And uh, I, I mean, I would go back and buy more. I just haven't really had the time. Uh, I'm not a huge comic book reader uh i prefer comic strips and that kind of stuff so to get me into uh the monthly um comics is it usually takes something really compelling well i saw one interesting trick that marvel was trying um in order to accelerate the number of issues in a title being published i'm not sure how far they went with it but on the astonishing x-men title they had two different writer artist teams and they were alternating issues following two different simultaneously occurring storylines so month one you got issue one from team one on storyline one next month was team two storyline two and then just alternating back and forth and they were set in the same time period and in they interacted a a little bit between them but they were also able to put out more issues more regularly within the title i thought that was a pretty interesting approach and good idea mm. um especially because well, both of them are high quality yeah and you see that on tv shows too well yeah they have all the different the, all the different teams and they trade off directors and writers week to week yeah yeah or or the even just storylines um and that happens in movies i mean like look at the two towers i mean like you've got aragorn uh gimli 
and uh, Legolas and their story. Then you've got Merry and Pippin, and then you've got uh, Sam and Frodo. And it's all, you know, happening at the same time, and they're all compelling. And I think, you know, any long period of time following any one of those stories for too long would get a little bit dull. You know, you kind of have to... And it allows... And that's the other thing, too, is that you can you can push the plot forward while there's a break. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Where yeah. you come back to, this, to, to one timeline, or well, not one timeline, one storyline after being on another, and with a couple of quick lines of dialogue, you can explain, well, you know, this happened, this happened, and this happened. And it just, it allows you to do something and maybe talk about stuff that would be really boring to draw. You know, and really boring for the for the the comic book, and just kind of cover it quickly in a, in a rehash and say, "Whoa!" You know, while essentially saying to the reader, "While you were reading this other story, these few important plot points, you know, conversation with the president, blah 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 blah, this happened. We didn't want to draw it and show it to you because that would take up you know four pages of, you know, boring. So instead, we're going to show you the the fight and the struggle and the drama that happened just after that. You know, I mean, you used the two towers example, and to me that was two good storylines and one powerfully boring storyline and the two interesting ones kind of carried me through the okay now we're cutting over to frodo sam and Gollum, whatever yeah oh, oh look helm's deep oh cool hey we're back yeah yeah and, and i i think the the fault there is because uh it took so long to get to shelob and um all oh, that it's, it's tolkien's fault i mean it's the source material's yeah. fault yeah yeah. Well, well, I mean, didn't I mean, I understand it's all one big book, but I think for the movie's sake, they put Shelob in the third movie when she should have been in the second. Um, yes. They have, I mean, yeah. if you go by where the books cut it off, the yes. the climax of Two Towers is Sam realizing that Frodo is not dead and has been captured by the orcs. And the base of the gates slam with Sam on the outside, and he's going, "Oh, crap!" Mm-hmm. Um, and you think that uh, I'm not sure if I don't remember. I don't think he did the sleight of hand. I mean, I think, I think you knew at that point that Sam had the ring, um, but you knew that Frodo had crossed into Mordor, was alive, and Sam was effectively screwed at that point. That was how the book closed. Mm-hmm. So very Empire Strikes Back kind of everything. Everyone's gonna die. We lose because um, the freaking gardener's got the ring now, and we all know how reliable he is. <laughs> yeah, the gardener. I always mm. forget that. What the, that that was his background. Yeah. Well, that was, that was the whole thing that's very much lost on American audiences is the whole master servant um, dynamic. Which is kind of just, just taking for granted that people from Great Britain who this was written for understood that from the time period that the book came out you know that that still existed the whole you had your your head man who worked for you um you know not slavery but um definitely you are my servant but you are my right hand man and we have this very special relationship and that's what frodo and sam was supposed to be mm-hmm. you know you know younger kids going and seeing uh the movies were like dude they're totally gay it's like oh, no, there's just this this whole Master Frodo and and Sam thing that uh, this doesn't translate well to a fourteen year old American kid. Yeah, and that was something that um, I believe I saw in the special features on the um, the extended edition was a conversation where Ian McCallum was you know rehashing a story, uh, him talking to Elijah Wood, 
and uh, oh crap, what's Sam Sam's actor's name? Sean Astin. Uh, yeah, Sean Astin. Yeah. See, so, yeah, I was talking to talking to the Sean Astin and and um, Elijah Wood, saying like, you know, this is a good point where, you know, in this time period and the kind of things that um, Tolkien was trying to convey, where you guys would probably hold hands at the bedside, and it was something that uh, Elijah Wood and and Sean Austin hadn't thought of, and it's got nothing to do with homosexuality. It right. was just the the bond and the friendship that would have been appropriate at the time. Not nice, not that it isn't appropriate now, but it would have been more accepted at the time, or, or indeed expected. Yeah, at the time that Tolkien wrote the book, you know. And I thought that that was a really neat little kind of tidbit to to have in there and say, like, look, it's got nothing to do with what today's society would would um, glean it to be. It's just got that, that's, it's friendship. It's exactly, you know, mm-hmm. what people were more comfortable with back when, when Tolkien wrote the story. So it was always a, I always thought it was a neat kind of little takeaway. Yeah. It's a little behind, looking behind the curtain kind of a moment there mm-hmm. of understanding where this stuff came from. As I loved the, the very rich behind the scenes material that they, you know, very deliberately from the outset of filming Lord of the Rings is they, they also set out to create this wealth of however much you want to know about how we made this thing, we're going to give you tons of information. And the looking back at the world and the creator of the world and learning from that, that, you know, Tolkien felt you know, as a a don of literature, um, he felt that the UK they lacked a really rich, um, oh, it's history of mythos of their own. He felt that they had borrowed their mythos from everybody around them. And they had no real mythology of their own. So part of his motivation for writing Lord of the Rings was to give Great Britain its own homegrown mythology. And knowing that that was his motivation kind of sheds light on the, okay, that's why this thing is such a freaking epic, expansive, huge thing. Because he was going for huge. He was going for mythology-level stories because he wanted... England to have that because he felt it was lacking and I, I do believe he scored and uh, way beyond England as well oh yeah no, agreed agreed well I mean speaking of, of keeping score one of the things that I caught in our uh, our thread here is the uh, the Muppets <laughs> go for it so if you're keep if you're keeping score I think we score one for the Muppets here uh, have you seen this clip yes it is absolutely awesome Oh my God! I just uh, growing up with the Muppets and being a fan for so long, uh, I I feel like it was handled just so well. I love first off, I love that the Muppets are there. The puppeteers are under the table, and the Muppets are speaking into microphones. Like it looks like it's a real press conference, right? And for all intents and purposes, like I don't know whether it was necessarily staged because the dialogue was still a little off the cuff, right? Um, you could almost feel. Brian Henson trying to stay in character as Kermit and still and still still answer the question, but he's trying to do it very politically correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also trying to stay like, well, how would Kermit answer this? And Kermit would do what he did. He kind of he took a little bit of a dig, but he was very, you know, PR about it. He kind of skirted around. He didn't gonna go right for the jugular. And, and then, then Piggy. Piggy. <laughs> and Piggy's like, well, you know, you wouldn't want to mistake Fox News for, well, you know, news. News. I, uh, <laughs> I thought it was fan. Fantastic. I mean, it, and it is a perfect response to a ridiculous claim. Yes. You know, earlier this year from Fox 
that there was a uh, liberal agenda, I guess, to the, the uh, to the Muppet movie. Yeah, because they look at the the villain in there and they say, you know, the villain's name, he's he's an oil baron and his name is Tex Richman. And you're, of course, you're, you're demonizing people who have enjoyed success. Like, uh, we are pointing out the demon-like activities of large corporations in America. We're not demonizing, they did that to themselves. Yeah, exactly. We're just using the, the convenient archetype for our villain. You also want to shake Fox News and just say, it's a Muppet movie. No, it's a vast liberal conspiracy to poison the brains of our children using puppets. Oh, good lord. I also love the whoever the, the voice actor for Piggy saying... Frank Oz. It, yeah, if you're... Is that, is that Frank Oz who does Piggy? Yep, Frank Oz does... I thought, uh, he, was, I was, I thought he wasn't doing uh, the voices anymore in, in this movie. There was some controversy about Oz not being involved. Really? I... Would I, I? I thought it was Frank Oz. Maybe I could be mistaken. I know uh, traditionally, traditionally he does it. Traditionally, Frank Oz does like Grover, Yoda, Piggy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a couple of other characters as well. But also, just saying at the end of the bit there, where and and if you're relying on on me, Miss Piggy, for your information, uh, you've got bigger problems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was really well done too. Yeah, the Muppets. That, that's. I'm I'm glad the Muppets are enjoying a resurgence because. There, there's a there's a place in our culture still for felt puppets and actually I loved um, have you ever seen um, Avenue Q or are you no, familiar no. with it it is a stage production done with Muppets basically um, but basically they have the puppeteers and voice actors in full view, you know, holding and but they're acting through the puppets, mm-hmm. and it is highly, highly adult content. So you have this your brain wrapping around the that's a Muppet, and it just said the most outrageously adult thing ever, and it just takes it to a whole new level. Have you ever heard the song "The Internet Is for Porn"? Uh, I feel like I've heard it. Somewhere. The internet is for porn. The in- yeah. that's from Avenue Q because one okay. of the one of the characters is getting rich off of internet porn. Um, but you know that was nice to kind of have in the intervening years of, of of a whole new resurgence of the the Muppet ideal. But to have them back in their in their true, more innocent form, family friendly form, but still on their game. Um, because I mean, they, they they were reeling for a while there from the unexpected and tragic uh, early death of Jim Henson, um, and they've kind of come back around to okay, morning period over, and get back to our roots and hey, let's do a freaking Muppet movie and absolutely I mean, with me with with kids at the age I'm at, absolutely perfect timing for me because um, I grew up on the Muppet Show and I enjoy you know, sharing that with the next yeah. generation. Yeah, it turns out I was wrong on both fronts. Um, Kermit is uh, Steve Whitmire. These days. Yeah, and uh, Eric Jacobson does Miss Piggy. Yeah, I think, I think Frank Oz definitely sat this this last one out. Um, well, you're also dealing with something where, you know, these guys are getting to the point where they're, they're aging and their voices might change to the point mm-hmm. where they can't do it anymore. You know, I, I mean, imagine Miss just... Piggy is a serious falsetto. Like, wow. <laughs> you know? How do you, how you just do that for long stretches? I mean, imagine Yoda. I mean, that that can't have been good for you. 
Yo, exactly. Well, and and I th that's the kind of thing where I think that you know Frank Oz could probably still do Yoda, but I don't know um, about the other characters that he could do. But there's there's actually a couple actors listed as doing Fozzie, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Um, but uh, the other one is uh, I want to say that Dave Golez that does Gonzo. I think that's still the same guy. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he's <laughs> Gonzo he's the Great. Changed. Yeah, um, and it's it's so hard when you get so used to. Um, you're starting to slowly get used to the new ones because I mean, even something as subtle as as a voice you can remember from when you were a kid. And mm -hmm. I remember when Jim Henson passed away, and of course, you know Kermit and all the um, Rolf and Doctor Teeth and the Swedish Chef and all the things that um, uh, Jim Henson used to do. They all changed, and it was it took me out of it for so long, yeah. you know, to to not uh, to not hear Jim Henson doing it. And I always get a nice little um, re. I guess kind of like a resurgence or a revisiting of that when I watched the Muppet Family Christmas special. Yeah. When all the original voices were still there. Mm -hmm. uh, same with watching the old uh, DVDs that I've got. I've got volume one and two of the Muppet Show, and that that is a great. Um, it's it's immediate throwback to like oh that's what Kermit used to sound like I remember <laughs> that you know it's just yep I really like those DVDs. No, really the the voice and the voice acting. Are such a huge part of the performance that when that changes, it actually is it is a jarring thing that that does take you out of it. All right, moving along to Microsoft overpricing their new products. What a concept! Oh my God, imagine that right up there with Adobe. Yeah, Connect for Windows gesture sensor launched by Microsoft. This is the Connect sensor array, but redesigned for use uh, with Windows PC as opposed to the Xbox 360. This is from bbc.co.uk. Microsoft has launched a version of Connect, its voice and motion-controlled sensor, to work with Windows-based PCs. Joins a previous version, which was designed for the Xbox 360. The new hardware features a near mode, which allows it to track movements as close as 40 centimeters away, compared to 50 centimeters on the original model. However, the updated device costs nearly twice as much as the Xbox 360 version. Uh, by comparison, let's see, $249 for the... New one, and you can get it. I've seen the Connect sensor on sale as low as 100. They quote 130 here. Um, now, the justification I've seen for this elsewhere is the optics necessary to shorten the field of vision for the Connect, so that something you can park on top of your monitor or under your monitor, so you can sit in front of a PC and do your gestures instead of stand back across the room, are actually surprisingly expensive. Um, so the redesign, it's not simply that they took the Kinect sensor that was designed for the Xbox and repackaged it with a different USB interface. They actually redesigned it and it has different components in it to make it work properly in the setting of sitting under your monitor while you're sitting very close or standing very close to the sensor. Mm -hmm. So this perhaps was just as good as they could do it to satisfy the needs of the, the different way of... Uh, you know, having the the motion and and the voice sensor, so the, I think the bigger thing this may bring to the PC is reliable voice command because they've really been getting their hands around the problem of voice command and trying out new techniques on the Xbox 360 to the point where it's reasonably reliable, and now you'll be able to do that um, with your PC as well. I mean, I'm kind of mm. interested in seeing when the developers get their hands on this from the voice standpoint, never mind the motion control at all, just from the voice command standpoint, where they run with it. Yeah, I th I still think it's going to be a lot of trial and error, and you're going to see a lot of people acting like Scotty from Star Trek Four. Hello, computer. 
Yeah, computer. Computer. Computer on. Yeah, I don't Keyboard. Uh, How quaint. Yeah, well, it kind of makes me wonder whether Apple is going to bring Siri to the desktop. You know, whether uh, OS X is going to get a Siri version or something. So, because I mean, there are some things where I mean, it has to be the 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 law of least effort, right? I mean, it is easier for me to do a hotkey, a key command, or move something with my stylus than it is for me to leave my keyboard and wave at the screen. You know, I'm, like I'm expecting kind of Siri to turn up in everything Apple offers yeah. from this point so forward. I, yeah, so I mean, I can understand, I can understand having voice commands as being, you know, searching for items. You know, like uh, computer, Google, insert search term here. You know, and then mm-hmm. that that kind of stuff would be very, very cool. And that just brings up, you know, some sort of quick interface to uh, Chrome, or maybe there's a um, what's it called in. Not Safari, not Safari uh, Spotlight on on uh, OS X, where you can then search your computer for certain files or certain things like that. Definition terms. Um, I think that would be that would be really cool for voice. But I mean, just I consider don't... your Apple TV with a Siri interface on it, where you, mm, even the incredibly mm. simple Apple remote is no longer necessary, and it introduces a, a degree of precision where you can say, "Apple TV, rewind video, thirty seconds." And it rewinds mm-hmm. in exactly thirty seconds, um, or pause video for ten minutes, then resume. Just yeah. that kind of thing, where the remote, you know, to have a remote control that would allow you to do those kinds of commands would be an incredibly complex piece of hardware with all kinds of basically a full keyboard to issue a command, and you'd never use it. But if you can just say, pause the video for ten minutes and then resume, and then you walk out of the room. Yeah. That opens up a whole world of human-computer interface and control, and the sky's the limit at that point. If you can say the sentence, you can design a command to respond to it, and the the entertainment center just got a whole hell of a lot more usable, and you don't have six remotes sitting on your table anymore. You have none. You have the one power button. Um, I want to be able. I want to be able to, to change the name, though. I don't want to have to say Apple TV or computer. You want to say, "Hey, or, asshole." Yeah. Well, you want to say Fido, or you know, you want to name your your um, uh, computer something. What was a uh, Iron Man's one? Giles? No. Uh, J- uh, Jarvis. Jarvis. Thank you. Yeah. I think. I mean, I think it has to be two things. It has to be original, and I think it has to be two syllables. Fracamanjo. Yeah. Anyway, I it just. I think it would be really cool to have. Have stuff like that. You can you can name it all kinds of things. Hal and uh, use that. Yeah, exactly. You know, Hal. Pause the video. <laughs> you know, for now. Open the DVD door, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> I can't do that right now. That would be awesome. Open but the DVD say, door, Hal. A, a really fun third party third party market for that too, because you could have if there's going to be a Siri audio response to. Um, confirming your your command like you know uh apple tv pause movie uh restart in 10 minutes and you know the the tv then has to somehow beep or confirm somehow it would be really cool if you could then download things like you know the different voices for the garmin um gps oh yeah directions and stuff like that would be very cool voice packs for your series yeah you know i mean i will be first in line for the scott fletcher voice pack for my home <laughs> entertainment system. You know. Thank you for playing this Netflix video on your Apple TV. I'm yeah. Scott Fletcher, and I'll be guiding you through this experience. Yeah. Exactly. 
Um, or, I mean, I would want things like <laughs> I mean, you can if the Star Trek the original series voice packs. So you say computer, oh, yeah. and it comes back tick 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 working. Just a whole <laughs> whole Major Barrett voice pack lifted from the original series. Yeah, hours of entertainment. Yeah, that would be very very cool. It would get annoying in about ten minutes, but I would still install it and play with it. Yeah, it would be fun to play with. It would, or especially if you could. If you could have it only happen for certain shows, you know, like if you're watching uh, Star Trek on Netflix and whenever you want to talk to the TV, it responds in a voice appropriate for the show. So context aware voice packs. That's patent yeah. that. Patent that now. <laughs> that would be possibly the greatest thing ever. Yeah, so it, whenever you're pausing a uh, Frog Pants show, mm -hmm. uh, it'll be Scott Fletcher. Uh, it'll yep. be uh, the computer from Star Trek. Um, I'm not sure what you could do if you're watching Star Wars, Darth Vader, I guess, or Yoda. That would be I fun. find your lack of viewing <laughs> disturbing. <laughs> yeah, you pause a frog pants item, and Scott would come on. Scott Fletcher would come on. I'll just stand over here in the corner. Yeah. Call me when you're ready. You know, pausing the video. Never mind me. Pay no attention to the man pausing your video. <laughs> and then you play it again, and Scott Johnson comes on. Ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba yeah, <laughs> fart noise. Exactly. See, we're going to be multi-billionaires now. We just have to, you know, design it. Oh, mm -hmm. details. Details, details, yeah. <sighs> but yeah, I really, I think if they're smart, um, Apple plans to leverage Siri in lots. I mean, I can't think of a single product of theirs that would not benefit from at least having the option for that kind of voice interface that, that understands conversational English with a, a high degree of reliability. Mm -hmm. um, but though, the, if you watch, do you watch uh, Big Bang Theory? I do. I am one or two weeks behind. So you have, have you not seen the Siri episode? Uh, no, I don't think so. I've seen the issue. The, the last one I saw was when Amy got the tiara. Oh, God. <laughs> Which um, was unbelievably funny. I was not prepared at all for her reaction. It completely floored me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's I, a character I, I didn't think to be as entertaining as she has been. Um, You're right. And but, I, I, for the longest time, I was really done with her. I felt like they, she was just doing the recycled jokes over and over and over again. Um, but they're starting to round her out a little bit, and I find it a little boring. A bit more yeah, and her not so latent homosexual attraction to uh, Penny is uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I found was like, I feel like every time she opens her mouth, she was hitting on Penny. And yeah. I think they've dialed that back a little bit. I think I, so too. I Thankfully. It yeah, it just, it was, because it's, it's one of those things where like, it's funny when it happens once a show, but it's not funny when it happens once a scene. Mm hmm. You know, and that's that's what I that's one of the problems I was having with it. We've got a, an episode coming up where Raj gets an iPhone 4S, and <laughs> his interactions with Siri are awesome. Um, but they also have a scene where Kripke comes in with his iPhone 4. Oh, the the voice recognition on this thing is terrible. And Siri, Siri, find me a Westwant nearby. I'm sorry, I don't understand. Find me a Westwant nearby. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there may be limitations to what Siri's capable of doing. Severe speech impediment is probably one of them. <laughs> yeah. Mm, be afraid. What am I doing wrong here? We've been talking enough. We're going to run out of background music, so I'm fixing that because we're going. I think we're just going to roll through for a little bit more here, and then we'll call it. Since on the front end we had uh, our my computer trying to kill us, but for the podcast listener, no time will have passed. So, what do you got going on in the world of uh, 
you know, speaking earlier of uh, your preference for comic strips, gee, I wonder why that would possibly be, Mr. StarCrossedOnline.com. <laughs> well, because I draw one. You think? Um, yeah. yeah, I'm doing, uh, doing a lot of work um, with, uh, with StarCrossed and taking a lot of commissions. Um, uh, those are open, by the way, if anybody's interested. You can swing by StarCrossedOnline.com and check out the store. I have got uh, a commissions page there where you can order everything from a custom cartoon avatar, just like our friend Boba Fetish has Boba Fetish. Uh, up on his uh, Twitter account. You can also uh, upgrade that. You can get some custom jobs done. Uh, you can uh, get a con sketch or do a full-on digital commission, and the prices go up and up and up as you ask for more and more and more. But I, I'm really happy to uh, be taking in commissions. Uh, it's really nice to see... Um, people reading the comic and then interested in my artwork. And then uh, commissions are really fun for me because they give me something to do that's different than the comic. You know, like uh, Brian Dunaway the other day suggested that I draw him as the Hulk. I'm just, <laughs> I never get to draw the Hulk. You know, so I'm, I'm stoked about uh, doing that. If he's, if he's going to commission that, I think that'd be really, really fun. And uh, actually, another, another Frog Pants um, producer has one of my avatars, and that's uh, Nicole Spagnolo from yes. The Wood Whisperer and Ladies Elite. And uh, all that kind of stuff. That was a two-person so, uh, one too, because you got uh, Nicole and Mateo in there. Yes, yeah, yeah. She uh, she wanted Mateo in there, so I uh, I put him in the uh, the drawing with her. And actually, um, she sent me a bunch of reference photos. And by the way, I don't. I, I've gone on you know record before of saying like I'm not really a big fan of newborns. I find kids don't get cute until they're about three months old. Mateo is an exception. Mateo is a damn cute kid. Yeah. For for being technically, you know, six weeks. I mean he's been born for a while, but he's He was preemie. Yeah, he was preemie. So had he been born on his due date, which would have been sometime in December, I think, um, he would have he's only, you know, by all other, you know, um runs of the the world a couple months old mm -hmm. and he is a damn cute kid yeah and one of the pictures they sent me was him stretching and absent-mindedly he was doing the live long and prosper <laughs> thing and awesome. i mean perfectly like the <laughs> fingers were separated everything great you know i know adults that can't do that right and he's just he was just stretching and yawning and he did that so i made him do that in her yeah, i saw that look closely his his hands are doing the <laughs> he's live doing long the Vulcan. And prosper thing yeah the, awesome very very fun well, if, you, if anybody's interested, uh, stop by the site and uh, uh, drop me a line. As you know, um, I am interested. And sometime in the next not-too-distant future here, you guys will be seeing my various uh, social media things adorned with one of these self-same avatars just as soon as I'm done yelling at PayPal and send some <laughs> Canadian-style money up north over the border yeah. for, for mine. And i got to get you a proper... You wanted a, a three-quarters uh, profile of me uh, to, well, to, to go off of? Yeah, the shots that you sent were great. I mean, they're just a little, uh, they're a little posed, and I find that sometimes the straight-on avatars um, are okay, but it's sometimes a little bit easier to capture somebody if I have more than one angle. Mm -hmm. I might still decide to do a front-on uh, shot of you, but it's, it's easier to see what people look like when you have more than just one angle. And also earlier you had mentioned uh, con sketches or convention. In convention news, last night uh, we had the Phoenix Comic Con... Uh, launch party meeting uh, and a couple of guys from Casually Hardcore went down there and attended and some of the big announcements were they have I believe Sunday of the convention they're going to have a panel Star Trek The Next Generation panel with uh, let's see Michael Dorn uh, Marina Sirtis Brett Spiner and Patrick freaking Stewart 
oh. in attendance. So that's going to be fairly major, and that's going to be in the main hall. So we will be live streaming that presentation during the convention. So make sure you're tuned into vtwproductions.com for that one. So and also we'll be publishing. Uh, as podcasts, uh, a lot of the material gathered from the secondary halls, uh, the, the one live stream going out during the convention will be the, the main hall with the, the major presentations and the, the high-profile speakers. <coughs> if you go over to phoenixcomiccon.com and check out the recently updated announcements, they've got a whole bunch of really fun people I'm going to try and get interviews with. It's, it's difficult to get past the publicist sometimes when you're not a major news organization. They've got... Uh, did you ever watch Farscape when it was on? I tried. I got through, I want to say, a half dozen episodes of season one. Yeah, season one wasn't and that great. No. Does it get better? Because I might go watch. back and watch it. it was on, it's on Netflix. Season two is when they hit their stride. Um, okay, so two cool. through four, they start doing larger story arcs, fewer of mm-hmm. the Muppets, and they introduce a character that you may not have met called Chiana, um, who was played by Gigi Edgley, who is one of the guests that I hope to get uh, an interview with. She'll be attending Phoenix Comic Con. She cool. did uh, have the full-body gray skin makeup, um, which... No, could, I don't think I've... No. Yeah, could not... And, and kind of a white straight hair wig. She's a very striking look to the character. And she did a really good job playing... Alien, as in there's something not quite right about you, just in her posture and her, mm. just her overall bearing. And it was a really fun character, highly, basically rebellious teenager style character, but highly charged sexuality. And I don't envy her having to have the full body spray on gray makeup every time. That could not have been fun. Mm. Um, <coughs> but she's one of the, one of the more memorable characters, uh, and they announced her last night. So. Keep an eye on phoenixcomiccon.com and vtwproductions.com for announcements about our coverage of that later in the year, but it's shaping up to be a really, really fun one this go-round. Fantastic. Excellent. All right, let's wrap this one up so we can make room for... Actually, I'm not sure... Yeah, this is the regular instance. The instance Old Republic uh, moved its day to Tuesday. To Tuesday. Right. Yeah. And, but the regular instance is still queued up to go live here shortly, so we'll make room for that Scott Johnson guy. Because, you know, we're nice that way. He does some stuff. Things and stuff and six-digit downloads, and I hate him so very much. And one day, one day, actually, it's highly unlikely that I will ever have the joy that he is having, which is to do this as my living instead of as a hobby. So I should not be overly sensitive about that kind of thing. That means <laughs> a little bit better at it than I am. But I digress. You have been listening to Alpha Geek Fridays for... Friday the 3rd of February. My God, it's already February 2012. Yikes. When the hell did that happen? All right. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Check us out on the web, vtwproductions.com. Click on the Shows tab at the top of the page and choose Alpha Geek. That is where Alpha Geek Radio and Alpha Geek Interviews live and publish their episodes. You can find our RSS feeds. You can also click on the Forums tab at the top of the page and join the very active and fun and mostly awesome forum community on Versus the World. Lots of fun and interesting things happening there, and maybe even the occasional brony. Who knew? Find us on Twitter, Alpha Geek Radio, Joel Duggan, 
GnomeWise are all names you can follow on Twitter if you want. If you want to follow the entire station and get announcements when episodes are posted, when shows go live and just generally blog posts are made, VTW Productions is the Twitter feed you should be following. You can also search Facebook for us, Alpha Geek Radio, GnomeWise. Are you on there uh, as uh, Joel Duggan or do you do uh, show pages or professional pages on Facebook at all? Uh, the only professional page I have on Facebook is Starcrossed. So search them for Starcrossed, all one word, Starcrossed with an E-D at the end, as in StarcrossedOnline.com, where you can find Joel's weekly webcomic, which is made of win and awesome. All, all of the social media links for the comic are right on the blog, so StarcrossedOnline.com is a good place to start, and you can find Twitter and Google Plus and everything else from there. Your one-stop shop for all things Joel. And one of these days we'll actually make you draw something. <laughs> More than happy to. Dance for me, artist boy, dance for me. All right. We, I believe, the heck are out of here. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass.